Hi, good morning. It's great to see all of you. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to meet uh, some of you over the week here. Uh, with all the fun stuff, I, I look forward to getting to know a lot more of you in the coming weeks as well. Uh, my name is Grant. I am one of the pastors here at H2O. And uh, as you've seen us probably around campus a lot, you've seen our logo, you've seen our name, you might have been thinking, like, what kind of a name is H2O? Like, why, what, is this church, like, obsessed with water or something? Uh, I'm going to answer that question for you today. We're not obsessed with water. Our name just comes from a passage in the Bible in John chapter 4, and that's actually where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Uh, but before I dive into that, I do want you to think about a time in your life uh, that you have been really, really thirsty. You know, for some of you, maybe you don't have to think back very long. I know for me, yesterday at the dodgeball tournament, I was getting pretty thirsty, uh, just moving around, being out in the heat, that kind of stuff. It's uncomfortable, right? Like, we can all relate to this idea of having um, deep physical thirst and how when we start to experience that, we really, really just want to do whatever we can to quench it. Uh, it has a certain urgency that takes our attention. But I believe that not only do we experience physical thirst, there's a deeper, maybe even more important thirst that we experience, but it doesn't always have that same sense of urgency. It's a spiritual thirst, something that's, that's deep down inside of us that knows that we were made for something bigger, some sort of, of significant purpose in life, an awareness that we were created for more than just the day-to-day -day school, work, and parties. And I believe that this is a thirst that God does not want us to ignore. He's created us with it. And so I just want to take some time to pray here before we dive into the text and ask the Lord to awaken us in a healthy way to the spiritual thirst that he's placed within us and then lead us to the one that can satisfy that. God, we love you and you are so worthy of all of our praise. Like, Lord, I love just getting to come together with my brothers and my sisters and you, and uh, just sing praises. You're worthy of every word that we sang in those last songs. God, we know that you are the giver of life. You're our creator. You know us best. You know how to satisfy us. And Lord, this morning, I just pray that you would really come and move in a powerful way. I thank you for every single person that you have brought through these doors. And Holy Spirit, I know that you are here. I know that you want to move, and I just pray that you would. Bring us closer to you, Lord. I pray that we would fall more in love with you today. We love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right. We are going to be in uh, John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up there. If not, that's fine. I'm going to have text on the screen. Uh, but I'm just going to read verses uh, 5 through 10 to get us started off. This is giving us a little story about Jesus. So he, being Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, we'll stop there. Um, as I work through this passage this morning, there's really five major things that I want to draw out for you that I believe this passage is teaching us and that's shaped a lot of, of what we do here at H2O. I've even organized them into a nice little acronym for you as Wells, so you'll be able to remember it hopefully. Um, but the, the first thing I want to draw out is just that this offer that Jesus has of living water is wide. He speaks about this, this living water he wants to give her. Um, and he's talking to this Samaritan woman, and she's surprised that he's speaking to her. And it tells us there in the text that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Now, that might seem kind of strange to you, because in our culture, whenever you hear the word Samaritan, there's usually another word in front of it, which is good, right? So if these people are all so good and kind and awesome, why is it that there's a whole group of people that generally does not want to associate with Samaritans? Well, if you understand the, the history, basically they kind of have like a family dispute to some degree. Uh, Jews and Samaritans at, at one time were all part of the, the tribe of Israel, but through sin, they ended up kind of getting split. God allowed both these different, they, they split into two different nations. They both ended up going into exile. It's kind of a long history that I won't get into right now. But basically with that, there were some differences that developed and some mistrust that developed. And sometimes these two nations would even start to go to war with each other. And so with this, the, the Jews and Samaritans really did not like each other. There was a lot of bad blood between them. And not only was it surprising that Jesus was speaking with this Samaritan, but also it was surprising that he was speaking with a woman. If you were to read on in the text, you would see that the disciples come back later and, and see Jesus speaking with this woman, and they're really surprised. And part of the reason is because Jewish rabbis at that time didn't teach women. So there's kind of two major things that are surprising in this interaction and not only is this whole thing confusing for the woman, but if you were just reading John's gospel, you might be a little bit surprised by this interaction as well. Because the chapter right before this, Jesus speaks with a man named Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus is the kind of guy that you might expect a Jewish teacher to be speaking to. He was a Pharisee. He was a guy that was an expert in the law. Uh, he, he knew the same uh, scriptures that Jesus knew really well. He studied them. He tried to apply them in his life. And then now shortly after speaking with Nicodemus, we find Jesus speaking with someone who's almost the exact opposite. Nicodemus is a Jew, this woman is a Samaritan. Nicodemus is a man, this woman obviously is a woman. Nicodemus is very well learned and respected. This Samaritan woman, as you'll see later, probably not very well respected. But one thing that you will see with both of these interactions is that Jesus shows both of them that they're missing something. Neither one of them is fit for the kingdom of God as they are right now. In the conversation with Nicodemus, he tries to help him realize, hey, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how well you know your religious text, no matter how hard you try to follow it, unless you experience this rebirth, you're not going to be able to go to heaven. And now with this Samaritan woman, he's starting to get into this idea of like, hey, you're missing something as well. You're missing this living water, and I'm the only one that's going to be able to offer it to you. You know, some of you guys have, have come to college more like the Samaritan woman. Maybe you weren't expecting to have an interaction with Jesus, and you've just been annoyed by so many H2O people that you just found yourself here by surprise, right? Maybe for some of you, you're a lot more like Nicodemus. You're a church kid. You've grown up. You, you go to church every single Sunday, and you think that that's what makes God love you. 
is because you know His rules and you know how to follow them. Well, the, the reality is that no matter which situation you're in, you need Jesus and Jesus wants you. It's remarkable that Jesus defies the expectations of this woman. Even though he's Jewish, he doesn't care about the fact that she's Samaritan. He doesn't care about the fact that she's a woman or that she may not be very well respected. And if you feel like you're too far from, from God or, or he doesn't want to interact with you, look at the way that Jesus reaches out to this woman. We as Christians want to be people that model this same kind of attitude today. That really believe that the offer that, that God makes to us to come and be with him is wide. And it should cut across every kind of barrier that we so often put up in our society to divide ourselves. Whether that's race or gender or money or, or, or different cultures or politics or anything like this. There's all these different things that divide us. And God says, you know what? I want you to come to me no matter what. I'm going to break those things down. The offer of living water is wide. I want to move on in our text here. Starting back at verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And we'll stop there. Things got real in this conversation, right? Like, like Jesus is, is taking this thing to a whole nother level. They've gone from uh, talking about this physical thirst all the way down to talking about uh, intimate secrets in, in this woman's life and uh, Jesus being the Messiah. There are a few things I want to draw out of this section and the first thing is that Jesus offers to satisfy our eternal needs. Notice what he says to the woman. He offers her this living water. He says that with it, she'll never thirst again. And her response is interesting. He has her attention. But she totally ignores the thing about eternal life. And she's just like, hey, give me some of this water so that I won't have to keep coming back here to the well in the middle of the afternoon. It's kind of annoying having to come and draw water all the time. 
she couldn't get her mind off of her worldly needs. Right? Like Jesus is trying to take her deeper, trying to take her deeper, trying to help her see what's going on in here, trying to help her think about the things that are actually eternal, but she's just stuck right now in the physical. He wasn't offering her a physical potion that would literally make her physical thirst go away forever. Instead, he's trying to get at her heart. He's trying to help her see that he offers eternal life and satisfaction for our souls. I think that just like this woman, we can get so caught up in our physical day-to-day lives that we miss the deeper things that God is trying to do. We often distract ourselves by only dealing with the day-to-day, seeing what's immediately in front of us, and missing out on what the biggest point in life even is. When you guys are here in college, you are going to get very, very busy. I always tell freshmen, like, one of the biggest skills that you're going to have to learn in college is how to prioritize and say no to certain things and say yes to what's most important because there will be no end to the amount of things that can take up your time here. And I think for so many of us, we're so busy, we're, we're consumed with it's directly in front of us, constantly worrying only about school or social clubs or anything like that, <clears throat> devoting all of our energy and attention to that and never thinking about what's actually our deepest need, which is the Lord. When we're deciding what to devote our time and energy to. I pray that you won't only look at the urgent, but that you'll also look at the important. And what is it that could be more important than eternity? I know for a lot of us that's something that might not be on our minds all the time. We're young, we're healthy, but the reality is like God wants you to have a relationship with him forever. Now, I'm not saying that you should neglect every single thing that's urgent or right in front of you, right? Like, yeah, get your schoolwork done, do do your assignments. But don't let it be something that consumes all of your life. God has made you for a greater purpose, and your greatest purpose is loving him and loving other people. In some cases, we get so caught up in the things that consume our lives that they can become even more important to us than God God himself. Maybe what's most important to you is graduating or getting a job, finding a spouse. Like Those are great goals. Those can be great things. But at the end of the day, none of those are able to be a substitute for God. That brings me to my next point, which is that Jesus is the lone source of living water that can satisfy our eternal needs. There's absolutely nothing else that can do this. Try as we may to satisfy ourselves, every other well that you run to for satisfaction will run dry. Because God has created you with a thirst that can only be satisfied by him. Just like this woman had to keep coming back to this well over and over and over again to get water, if you go to anything else, you're going to have to try and keep going back to it over and over and over again, oftentimes with diminishing returns. There are all kinds of things that we run to to satisfy our thirst for satisfaction in life. I think a relationship with the opposite sex is oftentimes one of the number one things, right? Like, if I can only find the one, if I can have this awesome boyfriend, this awesome girlfriend, have an awesome wife or, or husband someday, that's going to be everything that I need. That is my greatest pursuit in life. I meet so many people that live their lives that way. And I can tell you as someone who's been happily married for over 10 years now, like, my wife is awesome. I, I love her. Marriage is great. But your spouse makes a terrible God. And if, you're, if you think that a, a relationship with the opposite sex is the key to satisfaction in life, you are setting yourself up for disappointment, pain, and, and quite honestly, possibly even a failed relationship. 
Because there's no way that a human can live up to the place that God is supposed to take in your life. And you know, looking for a spouse to satisfy your deepest desires or a boyfriend or girlfriend, that, that's very common, but it's not the only thing I see people do too. There's plenty of other false wells that I see people looking for. One of them is what I like to call the well of gratification, which is basically just, man, I, I'm just trying to get as much pleasure as I can. If it feels good, do it. Um, this is kind of that stereotypical life of the college student, right, that's portrayed in the movies, just lots of drinking, lots of sex, lots of partying. It's a lifestyle of addiction, honestly, in a lot of ways. I've noticed that people that get caught up going to this well sometimes even start to realize that it doesn't satisfy, but they really don't even know what else to do with their lives. I was literally speaking with somebody this weekend as we were out doing pancakes who's stuck in this right now, doesn't want to be in it, doesn't want to be going out and getting drunk every weekend, but he's having the hardest time pulling out of this. We used to take a... Um, a trip as a church down to Panama City Beach on spring break. And we would just go in and we would go out into the streets from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. every night, get into conversations with people and, and talk about Jesus. And then we, of course, would serve them pancakes in the morning because we love pancakes. Um, but I, I mean, even there, I would talk to a lot of people, people that are coming down from all over the country to go and party. And, and I would ask them, man, does this satisfy you? And I was honestly surprised a lot of the time by the answer I got. Because people were being honest with me, and they'd be like, no, honestly, it doesn't. But, but here they were, still traveling for hours and hours to come down to this place where they knew they could find everybody else that was going to come and party and be crazy with them. Man, this well is not a well that's going to be able to, to hold up. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Like, pleasure in many ways can be a good thing if it's done responsibly. But if we're looking for, for the next high the next buzz, anything like that to satisfy us, it's not going to do it. And you know, even if you don't live a really crazy lifestyle like uh, going out, drinking, partying, having sex all the time, the reality is you still might go to the uh, well of gratification in other forms. Maybe you're living for compliments or all, all just trying to get the praises of others. Maybe for you it's just about finding peace and quiet. But whatever it is, I, I want you to examine your life and see, is pleasure and comfort what drives me? Is my life really about seeking the greatest pleasure and comfort that I can? Because if so, I think you're going to the well of gratification. And you know, another one, this is one that I struggle with a lot of the time, is the well of achievement. This is a life that's just all about being successful. And maybe this is because you want money, but I know oftentimes it's more because you feel like you have something to prove, either to yourself or to other people. And you think, man, if I can just make it, if I can just be really successful in my field, if I can uh, have the admiration of other people, that's going to be what my life is about. That's going to be what makes me happy. And if this is the well that you're going to, you're going to spend way too much time studying. You're going to freak out if you get an A- in one of your classes. You're going to live in constant stress. You're going to be under intense pressure. And don't get me wrong, like, I think it's good to work hard. Like, I think it's good to do well in school. You should put forth a very good and honest effort. But there is a place where we can let that, that desire for achievement to be very unhealthy in our lives. And I think it robs us from a lot of the joy that God wants us to have, and it distracts us from the greater purpose that he has for us. Don't let success in school or work be the thing that consumes all of your time when God has called you to a life of service with him. 
You know, Jesus is the lone source of living water. He's the only one that can satisfy our deepest needs for eternity. Marriage is great. There's some pleasures that are great. Achievement's good. But none of it is living water. You can't get this anywhere from Jesus. I even love what he said back in verse 10. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you want living water, you have to know where to go. And there's only one place. It's Jesus. College is a time that you're going to make a lot of your own decisions for the first time. It's great. It's cool. You have a new level of freedom if you're here on the campus for the first time that, that's going to be different than what you've had in years past. And that's fun. It's exciting. These are going to be years that are significant and shaping you into the person that you're going to be for the rest of your life. And that's why I love this church. That's why I love getting to work with so many people that are in this age group. God did a ton in my life when I was in your spot not that long ago. And I believe that he wants to do a lot with you too. And that's because of the next thing I want to show you, which is that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. You know, most of you, if you've grown up in the United States, you've probably heard that on some level, right? Jesus loves you. Maybe you've seen it written somewhere, or you've heard it in a song or something like that. Um, maybe if you grew up in church, I'm sure that you heard it all the time. No matter how much you've heard that, though, I don't want you to actually miss the significance of that. The idea that God loves you. I think sometimes we believe that God kind of likes us, or God tolerates us. You know, he's, he has pity on us. But to believe that God actually loves us, I think we struggle with that more than we might think. Look at what Jesus says to this woman. I mean, this is a woman that in all likelihood was not very well loved. She's coming to the well at noon. Nobody goes to go get water at noon in the desert, <laughs> right? Like, she was doing that to avoid other people. This woman had had five different husbands and was with another man now. Clearly something wasn't going well in her life, whether that was her fault or, or whether that was just guys that didn't like her, whatever. I don't know what got her to that spot, but for some reason, she had been through a lot of pain and a lot of rejection. And I think it would be very easy for her to think that nobody loves her or cares about her. Look at how many people had already given up on her. But Jesus doesn't give up on her. Matter of fact, he's the one that initiates conversation with her. And look at what he says in verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Think about that. The Father is seeking worshipers. Now, if God is, is who we believe, or at least what the Bible says, right? He, he is all-powerful. He's eternal. He is almighty. There is nothing that he needs. He is our creator. We're not his creator. So if the Lord is seeking worshipers, it's not because there's some sort of lack in his life that he's trying to fill. He's seeking worshipers because he loves us and he wants to invite us in to worship with him. Man, he is seeking you out. This is why Jesus came to earth in the first place. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And guys, this is the gospel. I, I think so many of us still live under the, this idea that um, we have to make ourselves good enough for God to want us. 
That, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible actually teaches that we're people that are broken. And that even in the midst of our brokenness and even in the midst of our imperfection, God has chosen to come and pursue us. That he's the one that comes and seeks us out. I think a lot of people get Christianity backwards. They think it's a system of moral codes that turn you into a good person to be worthy of going to heaven when you die. I honestly get this from the majority of people I talk to on campus. Even ones that tell me they're Christian, it usually comes down to, I ask, what does that mean? I say, oh, it means you, you know, are nice to be, you, you treat other people the way you want to be treated. Well, I mean, that's great. You should do that as a Christian, but that's not the essence of what our faith is about. You know, the, the prevailing attitude today is oftentimes that all religions are the same. They just teach you how to be a good person and how to get along with each other, and that's the point of them. And I would argue against that. The essence of Christianity does not teach that we are good people. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves good enough to get to heaven. It actually shows that we're broken people. It's something that humbles us. Something that shows us the greatness of God and how far we actually are from him, but what he would need to do to close that gap. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. When he came to seek and to save the lost, that's God stepping into the flesh. Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life on this earth. And when he went and he died on the cross, it wasn't because he did anything wrong. It was because we did something wrong. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to die in your place. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus went and paid those wages for us. He died on the cross that you and I would not have to pay for our sin ourselves. But if we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven. With every other religion, it's really about this idea of you being good enough to work your way to God. Or like you were a prisoner that was able to find a way to break out of your cell by doing well enough. Not the case with, with what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches us is that, that it's a rescue mission. Jesus comes and rescues us. We were prisoners that were stuck in our cell and he broke us out. And the only reason we get out is because we're following him. And he did this simply because he loves us. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You think about that. Why is it that, that God gave his only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross? Because he loves you. And he wants you to be with him forever. If there's only one thing that you remember from my message this morning, I hope it's this. Not kind of a cheap, uh, not very deep idea of God loves you, maybe something you've heard and never thought about, but the real depth of love that God has for you and the desire that he has for you to be with him for eternity. Man, this is the foundation of what we believe at H2O. We exist to connect with that God that loves us so much and to help others do that as well, which is what brings me to my last point. Living water shifts our priorities. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 39, but basically this woman goes back and starts to tell other people that she met about Jesus. And as we pick it up here in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. 
This woman had an encounter with Jesus and it completely transformed her life. She was somebody that wanted to avoid others, right? That's why she was going to the well at noon. She was likely not very well respected in her town. And now after meeting Jesus, she goes back and tells everybody about him. Her life changes. Now what becomes important to her is not just her own peace and comfort, but it's going and helping others to see who Jesus really is. Man, if God's love has gotten a hold of your heart, this is something that should happen to you. That your priorities start to shift. The things that were once most important to you start to fade. And knowing God and helping others know him becomes what's most important. It's what happened with this woman. It's what happened in my life. It's what happened in, in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's what happened in so many other people's lives that I know where God has, has shown us that he loves us and awakened us to something bigger. So wherever you are in your journey right now, I want you to know there's, there's people here that want to walk with you, that want to walk with you to help you know this God that loves you so much. And the worship team, you guys can come back up here as I'm closing, but I want you to think about everything that we've learned from this passage this morning. Maybe you just need to dwell on the fact that like this offer of living water that God wants to give you, it's wide. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what country you're from, what skin color you have, what you did last night. Like God loves you and he wants you to be with him. That offer of living water is being made to you. Maybe for some of us, you just need to be thinking a little bit more about your eternal needs. I know that might not be something a lot of you guys think about all the time. But really ponder this. What is it that God created you for? What is it that's most important in life? Maybe for some of you, you need to realize that Jesus is the lone source of living water. There is nothing else that you're going to be able to run to that satisfies for eternity. Sure, like a drink of water, there are some other wells you can go to that might quench that thirst for a little bit, but ultimately, they're not going to last. Maybe for some of you, you need to just really realize, maybe for the first time, even if you've grown up in church, the depth of the love that God has for you. And there might be some of you here that say, hey, I actually want to experience that love. I want to know what it looks like to actually have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know where everyone is that came into this room spiritually this morning. Maybe you came in far from God, but you say, hey, this God that you're talking about that's changed you, that's changed all other people, I want to know him. And if that's the case, like, I encourage you, come speak to one of us. There's going to be people around the room that have this little green lanyard on that says, how can I pray for you? And if you want to talk to somebody about starting a relationship with Jesus, you can come and speak to one of us. If you don't want to get up out of your seat and talk, just on the back of your Connect card at some point, you can just write, hey, I want to talk to somebody about starting a relationship with Jesus. And someone from our church will come and follow up with you. For some of you, maybe you're Christians. And you just realize, man, like, I, I really want my priorities to align with what God's priorities are. They need to be shifted. You realize, hey, maybe I've been putting too much of my time and my effort into something else. I want to I go all in with following Jesus. Whatever it is, I believe that God has something he wants to do in all of our hearts and our lives here this morning. So we're going to enter into another time of worship. And this is a time for us, honestly, to just remember, we're singing praises to the living God. Like, this is, this is cool. This is, what an opportunity that we can come before the throne of the Lord and sing praises to him. This isn't just a time where a band is putting on a show 
We're not just standing with our, you know, looking at words on a screen. There's a real God that, that we get to worship. Like there's angels praising him in heaven and we get to join that, which is cool. So like I encourage you during this time to reflect on everything that I was sharing there. Ask God what he wants to do in your life, how he wants you to respond to everything that we've talked about this morning. And if you need prayer about anything else, maybe you're just really nervous about classes starting tomorrow or something, like please go and get prayer. It works, right? Like the Lord tells us to come and pray. So um, have, have somebody come and pray for you if you have any sort of need. I'm going to pray for us here as a group, and then uh, we'll, we'll go into another time of worship. God, we love you, and we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you hear our prayers. And uh, God, we just want to lift up our praises to you. I pray that you would be honored by everything that we have to sing this morning. God, I pray that uh, today would be the beginning of, of new relationships. For some people, that it'd be the beginning of a relationship with you. Uh, for others, it's the beginning of new friendships. God, you're worthy of all our praise, and we just thank you for even inviting us uh, to be people that do praise you. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Why don't you stand to your